When your child is struggling, as a parent, you need support. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I'm at the 46th Annual Psychotherapy Associates Winter Symposium. This is in Colorado Springs, and once again, I get my hands on the experts. The men and women who are speaking at this conference, the, the, the other people having booths here, this is where all the experts in the industry of mental health and addiction and recovery gather to share the information they have, and I wanna get it into your hands. So thank you for joining me on this week's episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Uh, when we when we go into therapy, when we go take our kids into treatment, and uh, the expectation is that somewhere along the lines, there's going to be a question asked to the kid of "Tell me about your mother," and we're going to we're going to fall on uh, we're going to fall on the heels of everything everything that the the mother did to uh that that the mom did wrong that the dad did wrong enabling is an easy game to play with clients and uh enmeshment is a very fancy turn um and you're going to talk about pro-dependence and before i tell them who you are this is my third show with you I still maintain you're the best dressed man in the hotel, which I've told you the last two times. And I'm wearing the same suit I wore both other times, so you're not very good, <laughs> maybe, but that's maybe okay. That's, maybe that's true. Um, Dr. Weiss, uh, I, I'm a big fan. I'm a gushing fanboy. Uh, you've got an incredible podcast. You're, uh, let's, let's, if this is people's first time hearing about you on the show, before we get on to topic, let's talk about you. Okay. Well, I'm a mental health therapist. I've been actually licensed for 25 years. I just figured this out the other day. Um, and my main area of specialty has been the addictions and particularly intimacy, relationship problems, sexuality. But in the more, more recently, I've been looking at family work and how we can support families of families who are dealing with addicts. And I've just felt a lot of frustration with the codependency model for a long time. Okay. And uh, I decided to do something about it. Okay. So, so codependency enmeshment um blaming the parents for what the person is going through one of the the examples that you that is used is you got a kid who's struggling with drugs and rather than your kid going out in, in doing these drugs out on the street or something like that you're letting the kid do it at home you're not saying no to the kid you're not holding your boundaries but the kid's not leaving the house at least you know where the kid is and i've even talked with moms who've gone as far as buying their children heroin so that they at least know that the heroin is pure and it doesn't kill them. And the model in the treatment industry is saying you're just giving your child a safe place to die. We've had a model in the mental health and addiction community since the 1980s that basically says don't love too much, don't give too much, don't care for people too much. And if you care for a broken person, we have a really mean name for that. We're going to call you codependent. And this has never worked for me. I've been in the addiction field for 25 years. It's never felt right. And for those people I work with, whether it's a wife or a mother, or those people don't feel like they're doing anything wrong by trying to love the person who's broken. You know, I don't understand this whole idea that 
if you spend two years loving a broken person and that deeply affects your life in negative ways, that there's something wrong with you. I think if you go out and try to help me and I'm an addict and you, your life suffers as a result, you're my hero. You're the person who went to the wall for me. You're the person who stayed in my life despite the addictions and you hung in there. So why would I want to call you a bad name? Why would I want to blame you for having the strength and the guts and the courage and the willingness to hang in there with me? And you know, for so many years, parents and everybody else has gone into a treatment center around addiction, and they're so grateful. They finally got their loved one there. They finally are in treatment. The family feels so great. They're finally going to get help, and they feel like they finally done their job, everything they needed to get that person well. And then we sit with the families and we start to talk about what's wrong with them Here, and what they're doing do this, wrong. You need to stop. And doing you're this. enabling, and this is part of why that happened. And you're part of the problem. And the families say, "Well, wait a minute." I've been working triple time, three jobs, gaining weight, not exercise, doing everything I can, nagging, complaining, enabling, whatever I do to get this person to stop because I love them so much. And now you're telling me that there's something wrong with me. And you know what? I think they're right. I don't think there's anything wrong with them. I think these are people who love us, who've exhausted themselves trying to heal us, and now we blame them for the very love they've given under codependency. So, I just don't agree. And so this is what you're calling pro-dependence. So I created a word, a model, a book called Pro-Dependence, and I wrote it last year. It is going all over the world. I've been in Australia. They're doing pro-dependence groups. I've been in Singapore. They're doing pro-dependence groups. Um, I mean, just, you know I've written a bunch of books. I, and I, I, I own them. They are at my house. Your, your doghouse book is still something that I counsel men with. It's a good book for men who cheat. But if you're a writer or if you're someone who's even working in recovery and healing, you know that we spend a long time working through our own, our own issues, whether yeah. it's in therapy or writing or whatever. Right, and, right, right. and I've written nine books about sex and intimacy, relationships, technology, but this book is about loving your family. And I realized like I've grown beyond talking about addiction. I wanna talk about healing families. And this is the biggest flaw in our system because you do know that codependency has never been a diagnosis. It's not in the DSM, it's not in the ICD, it's not anything you can actually say, here are the five criteria for codependency. It doesn't exist. It has never made it beyond a pop culture phenomenon. And that, a 12-step group. Yeah, but 12-step groups are great, but that doesn't mean that we have any mental health correlation for right. that. And Al-Anon was always there at Al-Anon. So just so you know, I did my PhD, my doctorate in studying codependency. And I read every book and I read all the articles and I looked at all this and I realized that, and you, if you read Pro-Dependence, you'll see this. It's really, an, an, it was an amazing thought for the time, mostly for women who wanted to be less dependent on men and be independent and get out there and break the glass ceiling and they don't need to depend on men and they don't need men leaning on them and all that stuff. But it, when it became more about you shouldn't support people, you shouldn't give to people, you, you shouldn't make someone else's life a priority over yours. You know, sometimes we do. My kids' lives are a priority over mine. Sometimes my spouse's life is a priority over mine, especially if they're unwell. So for anybody to say that that's a bad thing, to put your life aside for someone you love who's troubled, I think that's a miracle. And so, pro-dependence. If you're married to an alcoholic, I wanna say, I'm impressed with you. You're my hero. You stuck by that person. You still held on to the good in them despite all the bad they were doing. I think you're amazing. And why would we ever say that it was wrong of you to stick by or to help or support? Maybe the ways you tried to help weren't effective. Well what parent or spouse is trained how to do addiction therapy. Right, exactly. You know, my favorite story, okay, around this, I'll just tell you, is the woman who decided that she was going to keep her husband from driving her kids drunk, losing his job, or getting a DUI because he was drinking during the day, and he would pick up the kids drunk, and he would get arrested, and he'd lose jobs. So she said to him, look, I'll make a bargain with you. I will bring home a 
fresh, clean bottle of vodka. It'll be cold on the dining room table. You can have it when you get home at four o'clock, as long as you work sober, you drive sober, and my kids come home sober. And you know what? For two years, that guy was sober until four o'clock in the afternoon. Now, she started coming to me when that didn't work out anymore. Right. If you were an if you were a heavy-duty coda person, you'd say, oh, my God, she was enabling his drinking. I would say she found a way to do harm reduction in her home. without. She couldn't get him to stop drinking, but she could get her kids to school safe. She could keep um, her the money flowing in. She could keep her husband getting arrested. And when the disease got so progressive that she couldn't get help anymore doing that, well, then we can help her make it better. You know... So I'm listening to you, and I have a level of incredulity going on in me. And it's not about what you're saying. It's about that I feel like this is the first time I've heard it said, that there are, there are going to be people listening to this show going, thank you. you, because no one has ever taken a second to say, you know what, not only did you only work with what you got, but they're still alive because of what you and did. And you hung in there. And you weren't trained and you tried anyway. And when things didn't work, you looked for new ways. I wish the whole fucking world was just like you. And you, like, I'm listening to you and I'm, I'm thinking back to the parent weekends and I got to change my language. How many parents have been told, just let go of your kid and let them struggle? Well, listen, if you're the therapist who said that and your kid dies on the street, do you really want to be that therapist? You know, you got a mentally ill kid. Maybe they're never going to get it together. Maybe you are going to have like, look, where this all comes from for me is not only how I've seen it affect families, which yeah. is they feel like they did something wrong for hanging by or loving the person they loved. But in addition to that, um, what is the message we give to the addict? Codependency basically says, well, this person was really troubled for being with you and picking you. And if they were, if they had grown more, they would have picked someone healthier. And in fact, if you don't hurry up and grow, they're, they should probably leave you because you they're going to grow without you. And, and they hung in where with you, codependency says, because they were sick, and in their wellness, they would detach from you. That doesn't make any sense to me. Oh. I, I mean, I think that people exhaust themselves trying to make people better and love someone, and yeah, their trauma symptoms come up, their issues come up. Wouldn't your issues come up if your wife had cancer? So why not if your wife is an addict? It, it doesn't make any sense to me, and I've just it's, decided I've had enough. You're, you're, you're right. If, if, if I've got a spouse or a kid who's got cancer, I'm gonna do anything it takes, and I call it a disease. But then this other thing I'm calling a disease, we're telling people you gotta create a cut bait point, you gotta know when to bail, you gotta set some boundaries, you gotta watch out for caretaker's burden, you gotta, you know, you're, we're going on and on. We not only do that, but it's an assumption, right? That yeah. every partner and every family member of every addict is an enabler. Well, isn't there anybody, or has huge trauma in their background? Do you think any ever anybody ever married an alcoholic or had, who doesn't have a huge amount of trauma? Maybe <laughs> they're just, the trauma is living with someone that you love who's falling apart, which means you're falling apart. Because in an attachment world, which is how we look at mental health today, right, right, right. what's most important is our connections. The person who hangs in there with me, despite the pain, they're not troubled, they're a hero. And that's how I look at it. And that's what prodependence is all about. Now, our... Does this suggest that you shouldn't have boundaries or that you shouldn't set, I'm not willing to do this part. I can't do this. I can't go against my own value system. Like, you're not asking people to sell out on their own beliefs. I think there are a lot of ways to help improve how a family functions especially if there's been a crisis like an addiction, without having to blame people for the way that they ended up functioning in the crisis. I, I can say, wow, bringing bottles home, didn't get him sober, sure helped you with your for two years. Kept maybe your kids now, alive. Maybe now 
you need more help in finding a more effective solution. But I'm not going to tell her bringing the bottles home was something wrong with her. I'm going to say that was really clever. She got two more years out of that guy, you know? So, you know, I, I just oh. think to turn on our caregivers for the very care they give and ask them to question the love that they have for the people that are important to them is unfair and and really needs to be readdressed. It's very forgiving. It, it really is saying everything you did got you here and now we're here. And now we're here. And and we may maybe we'll do something different now. You know what I'm saying to, to addicts about their partners? Not that they were so sick to stay with them. I'm saying to the addict, I bet your mom, your sister, your wife, who your husband, I bet they saw that really special thing into you and they are, even despite all the pain, they have held on to that good piece of you, hoping it would come back. And they have hung in there despite all this pain, knowing that someday that belief they have in you could be again realized. Boy, somebody's going to hang in there through pain to see me become better? I don't know how you can blame them for that. So are you completely at war now with the concept of enabling? I I'm not at war with anything. I just think that... There was a time when codependency really served a purpose and we did need to teach detachment. Let me answer your earlier question. Okay. Boundaries, detachment, self-care for caregivers, those things are essential. We teach those to people whose family members have cancer. Of right. course, we have to say, take a night off, of course. take care of yourself, but we're not telling them, nor would you tell someone who has can with a family member that has cancer, we're not saying, this isn't gonna be the biggest issue in your life for a long time, it is. We're not saying this hasn't caused all the pain you're in, it has. If he's not willing to take his meds, you gotta cut bait. Like, you don't say that to someone. Well, you know, I gotta tell you, I come from the mental health world, and the, you know, I have, well, I had a mentally ill mother who showed up in my house at four in the morning, you know, in a shorts and a t-shirt, not on her meds, and they used to tell me in my codependency group, so well, you should leave mom out in the rain because she's never gonna learn how to take her meds if you don't, you know, have her have her consequences. Right. I'm telling you, mentally ill people, if you don't show up for them, they're effed. And, you know, for me to say that, first of all, I was never going to let my mom be on the street in the rain. That was never going to happen. Sure. And second of all, you know, and second of all, troubled people do better when there are caring, loving people in their lives who are showing up. I can teach someone how to show up in more productive ways, but I'm not going to tell them what they did before was unhealthy or wrong. I'm going to say they did the absolute best they could. So if you ask me the word enabling... I will say, I think there's a parallel concept in pro-dependence. I would say deeply committed to your relationship, deeply committed to healing. If you said someone's hypervigilant, they're worried all the time, I would say they're expecting problems to happen. They're used to problems happening. If you said they're over-involved, I would say they're desperate to heal someone they love. I think every one of those negative, no, negative corollaries, we, words we apply to people who are caregiving, we can turn around and turn them into strengths because that's what caregiving is. It's a strength. We'll get back to our guest in just a second. I got to make a quick shout out to two organizations that have really helped out fire mountain and beyond risk and back at our booth here at the winter symposium first is guayaki yerba mate they have given us cases and cases of this amazing incredible drink to hand out to other people to get people in the industry of mental health and addiction to understand the benefits of guayaki yerba mate and brain recovery brain building I could, I could spend an entire episode, which I did, by the way, with one of the co-founders, David Carr. So go listen to that Beyond Risk and Back episode. 
And you can always Google benefits, scientific benefits, scientific research behind Yerba Mate, and you will understand why we give this drink out to people in the industry. This is a hidden gem that is getting more and more popular. So please support us being supported by Guayaki Yerba Mate and go pick yourself up a can and get some for your teens. And then second, I need to thank Psychotherapy Associates Winter Symposium people themselves for letting us be here and broadcasting this show and helping us email all of the speakers to get the information, the the, the new cutting edge research in brain development, addiction recovery, mental health. And I get to interview these incredible people and get their information into your heads, parents. So thank you to Winter Symposium and thank you to Guayaki. Okay, let's get back to our guest. I'm... I'm, I'm astounded and I'm, I'm blown away. And you're right, what you just said off the air, this strength-based conversation, this strength-based modeling, this strength-based therapy, um, this is something that, that therapists do. With everyone except families. With, and why? And here's something else to think about. In the 35 years since codependency was created, in the addiction world, we probably have, and I know this for a fact, at least three or four different models for treatment. We've got Buddhist recovery, we've got equine recovery, we've got EMDR, we have all kinds of ways, meditation. We don't have anything in 35 years other than codependency for families. And I'm tired of families coming last. I think they need something more loving, more current, more workable than what we've been doing. But what is the reason why? What Have we fallen victim to the same thing that the families did and we're just focused oh, yeah. on the identified patient as well? So um, there's a guy named Dr. William White. You may have heard of him. He's the historian of the addiction field. And what he writes about how we talked about wives and spouses of alcoholics in the 50s, he said, um, basically it was like this. Um, if you would drink too if you were married to her. In other words, wives were seen as nagging, complaining, masochistic, wine in the 40s, in the 50s. Then we got systems theory, we got all these new theories, and we got codependence. I truly believe that codependency is a more sophisticated way to blame and shame caregivers for the love that they give. Because, well, I'll stop there. I, what I hear from that, and, and my, my, the analytical mind, the mind that wants to justify the existence of this problem, is to say the love they got was not the love they needed, and we had a caretaker that couldn't meet a need, but was trying to meet their own needs through the love they were trying to give, which didn't reach. That sounds really confusing. How about I love you, you're falling apart, I'm there for you, I'll do anything I can. <laughs> And if I can get you better, I will. And you know what? Because I love you so much and because you're not getting better, I'm, I'm getting frustrated, I'm getting angry, I'm nagging, I'm, compl- I'm turning into someone I don't want to be. But don't diagnose me for the person that I have become in trying to get you well, you motherfucker. Yeah, we, okay. I mean, it's, it's what we do. We look at the addict and we say, listen, when you're hungry, you're angry, you're lonely, you're tired, you know, you're forgiven. The mom! The mom's hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. So listen, if this show can be a message to every parent who feels pain that their child is struggling or has struggled with addiction, it is not your fault. You know, children are who they are. They are where they are. You've raised them the way you have. And whatever you've done to try to keep them sober, to try to push them in the right direction, I know that you only did that out of love. I know you're only trying to do the best you could. So I would never call that anything except loving, caring, supportive, even if it was misguided, even if it didn't work out, it still came from a place of love. 
how now that parents are hearing this and they're like, yeah, that's right. I did this out of love. How can you how can you tell a parent to start advocating for themselves? Well, then we have to talk about, okay, if all of your loving, if everything you did came out of love, it doesn't mean that everything was effective. You know, maybe bringing home the bottle wasn't effective, or maybe letting them go to school was, or maybe sending the treatment center. I mean, I don't know what it wasn't, but once, once the families and loved ones of addicts get into our world, us healers, well, then they have us to help them. So I will say to them, like, you've done everything you could, and you did a great job, and everything you did was useful and helpful or not, but here I am, and I can help guide the things that are going to be more useful. We can eliminate the things that weren't. So look at, I don't understand how this field of addiction looks at parents and spouses and says, and blames them for not knowing the right methods to use for addiction healing. I don't think most spouses went to college to study addiction. And yet we expect every wife to know how to heal her husband who's an alcoholic. And we're still here trying to, and we're bickering back and forth on which model is going to be the most effective. And we're the professionals in 20 years. Well, and you asked me that question, so I'll say it. Yeah. Um, the model of codependency comes out of the addiction world, which has been very separate from mental health for a very long time. Yeah. It was, it's, all, it's never been true in the mental health world that I would come go to a caregiver. Like if you had a schizophrenic brother and you were, or, or someone had cancer, you know, I would bring you casseroles. I mean, I would support. It's not been that way a long time in that world where we would judge or shame or devalue or even be curious about why you gave care. Of course you gave care. You were full of love. It's only in the addiction field, only where we've held on to this pop culture notion that you are giving too much, like women who love too much. Hey, introduce me to a woman who loves too much. I want her over on Thanksgiving, you know, <laughs> hang out, play cards, be with my friends. I want all the people who love too much to be at my house on the holidays. Because right. we're going to have a heck of a good time. That's going to be a great party. Okay. I, I mean, I want to just keep going, but you, you need to go catch a flight. So the book is called Pro-Dependence, yeah. Moving Beyond Codependency. And the goal was not to give people another way to work through codependency, but to say, hey, maybe there's another way. Maybe we can be more loving, more caring, more compassionate with our caregivers and still redirect them into better self-care, better boundaries without them feeling like they've done anything wrong getting there in the first place. Pro-dependence, Dr. Robert Weiss. Talk about your podcast too. Oh, hey, we have a hot podcast just like you. It's called <laughs> Sex, Love, and Addiction. And I'm so grateful we have a lot. So the focus is obviously intimacy, relationships, sexuality, and addiction. And we have experts in human sexuality and addiction and intimacy and in betrayal. I mean, we're just trying to build a whole library of shows to teach people how to heal broken relationships when infidelity or sexual problems are a part of it. I'm proud to know you. I love seeing you on the cutting edge of you moving this whole industry in a new direction. Uh, I'll take a little credit, but I think, you know, it's, it's, it's never any one of us, right? It's what's no. happening. We are all in a place, I think, where we want to be more loved, where we accept, where we value our relationships more than we used to. And we can give the credit to the women who love too much. Well, I'll give it to the men who love too much. How about that? Hey, so folks, um, you got a great podcast here. I hope you're listening, and you're listening more. Thank you. We'll see you next week, folks. This has been another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you so much for joining me, parents. Please remember to give us a listen, a like, a subscribe, and share us with your friends, other parents who need the support. I have a few people I'd like to thank. First is Frazier PR. I'd also like to thank Your Cause Consulting. And I need to give a shout out to Deepin Productions. As always, thank you to Mental Health News Radio for hosting this show. And I'd like to thank Guayaki. Guayaki has sponsored our booth here at the Winter Symposium. 
And of course, all my fans everywhere, all over the world, thank you so much for making Beyond Risk and Back a number one parenting podcast. Remember, parents, take care of yourself first, your adult relationship second, and your children third, because in that way, we do our best work with our children. I'll see you next week.